Hello, and welcome to the Better Relationship Podcast. I'm your host, Dolphin Casper, and I'll be exploring interesting, exciting conversations with people who have stories, solutions, and expertise to help you in your journey towards richer and more meaningful relationships in your life. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Relation Flicks Podcast. Really excited to have you here and really excited for our guest today, Trish Wright. I've had a, uh, the pleasure of meeting her and interacting with her online a few times in the last few months. Uh, she brings a lot of clarity and depth and intention to her work. I'm going to tell you a little bit about her, and then we're going to dive into an exciting conversation that's going to be all about trust, how we make it, how we break it, how we recover it if it has been broken, uh, everything we need to know to really generate that kind of bedrock foundation piece for our relationships. So Trish Wright is a heart-centered lover of life and certified sex and relationship coach, master coach, uh, master love coach with Love Coach Academy and co-host of the Self-Love Show and the Awakening World. She believes that relationships are the greatest wealth we have and will help you cultivate more deep, more deeply intimate connection. Primarily focused on dissolving codependent and trauma bonds, her work helps repattern old behaviors and thoughts into empowered choices and sovereign embodiment. So maybe we could start with that word sovereign because uh, I think when it comes to our interactions, um, that that space of sovereignty, that space of autonomy and choice uh, for me is really central about what we cultivate with each other. So if that resonates, uh, tell me a little bit about what sovereignty means to you and, and how do you weave it into your life and, and how you work with people? Uh, thanks, Dolph. Thank you for having me on. Um, I love that you started here <laughs> because, you know, I've I've moved through my understanding of sovereignty like many different places i've i've gone from sovereignty being it's only me and all me and da 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 and get out of my way you know that kind of sovereignty where it was just um i am sovereign and you know i'm just going to push through and 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 it's changed a lot over the years actually that sovereignty used to be something very personal very like me based and egoic in fact um and now it looks a little bit more in the realm of honoring what is truly alive in my body and in the moment for other people and and what that means is like i'm making my choices consciously rather than through you know, this idea of, of, of an obligation or something that I, I should be doing. So I'm, I'm constantly checking in with my body. It's embodied choice is kind of what sovereignty looks like me, like for me now. Yeah. yeah you, you bring up that piece around, you know, without, without this sense of obligation or even, you know, I think it's not, it's not off the mark to talk about coercion and pressure and, you know, oppressive influences in our, in our modern culture. And I think it's not, people might feel like they have free will and choice in their life, and I believe they do, but there's so much pressure and influence that that it's not so easy to say, oh, you're like, I'm sovereign, I do what I like. Um, there's so many consequences to our choices. So maybe you could speak about where it's been tough stepping into sovereignty in your life. Oh. That will be helpful to others. Yeah, totally. Um Okay, so when I first heard the word dolphin, and then I don't know if this is your experience, and I'd love to hear more about your experience with sovereignty as well. Um, when I first heard the word, um, 
I was deep in a codependent relationship that was wildly abusive, um, mutually abusive, we'll say. I don't even know if that's the right terminology or the concept, but it was harmful on both sides. There was coercion and manipulation and all of these things. And there was ways of being that we were both not even conscious that we were sort of playing into. So when I first heard it, I was like, oh my gosh, um, sovereign is is something that excludes, my sovereignty excludes you, Dolphin. <laughs> like it's whatever I need and want and that's just how it is. And if you don't like it, then you can out of the way. And, and what has dissolved or what I, I've seen now is yes, it's that, but it's also kind of decolonizing my brain. And what I mean by that is that there's a lot of social norm behaviors that we we automatically play into because it's so constructed in our reality. Um, socialized as female, socialized as white, um, educated, uh, social class behaviors. Like there's all of these these things that we are not even really conscious of that we play into that which makes us not sovereign. <laughs> like when I play into a polarity, let's say, like he's bad and I'm good or I'm bad, you know, like there's this polarity around, we'll call it politics or religion or God, it, it literally could be anything, right? That's where we're playing into that I'm not free, I'm not sovereign, and I'm certainly probably not embodied if I'm not in a present state. Um, did that answer the question? <laughs> yeah, beautifully. And I think that's one, like we could spend the whole hour just talking about that. So um, in the interest of the audience, I think we'll move into other areas. But what I hear you also talking about is that sovereignty is is directly connected to our presence and awareness of what's actually occurring. So it's not possible to be sovereign in things that are unconscious. Those things are just operating behind the scenes. And so there's this dimension of how do we engage or invite more presence and awareness to activate more sovereignty in our choices and in the movement of our lives and of course our relationships. And maybe I'll make that a legitimate question. Like how do we how do we move into more sovereignty when we know there's lots of unconscious stuff going on? It takes a lot of that that takes commitment to looking at your shadow. I mean, that's the, the first step, I think, is, you know, many, many years ago, and a lot of people really hate this term, and maybe you do too, but it really stuck with me, obviously, for a long, long, long time. It's like 10 years ago, someone said to me, everywhere you go, there you are. And it's a certain point, I was like, why in the F am I still creating this same thing? Like, I started noticing that I'm the common denominator. And even though I would change my behaviors, stuff still came up, which meant at some point I really had to look at how I was creating that or kind of forcing other people into my reality, into playing a role for me. Like I didn't even know that it was what was happening, right? So, I mean, <laughs> how do you do that? Well, you get a coach and you get a therapist and you go to some workshops and you start reading some books and you start actively getting like looking at the discomfort. Like, why am I always getting in fights with my boyfriend about this one thing? Or why is my friend always telling me this? Or what is the discomfort looking at it and what's underneath that? 
actively do. That's a good way to start anyway. I have lots of, I mean, this isn't a coaching session, but I have lots of things that we could go into. Well, I mean, I think later in the conversation, let's get into some practicals. I, I love for these conversations to be intuitive and organic, but also where there's things people can go away with and go, oh, like I could actually try that today and that would make a difference for me. So let's just sort of earmark that for for in a, in a little bit. Um, again, I like to kind of dig into some of the things that you're saying there. I I have a, a theory and a, a, a sense of that there's a relationship between, you said it's like to re- really be willing to look at our shadow. And I think there's a difference between looking at something and seeing it. Oh, and I think I think that difference is is very closely connected to our willingness to feel more deeply. That that if we don't want to feel what's underneath, we might look at something, but in a way we we kind of we guise our own, we cover our own seeing, because it would be really inconvenient to see the truth. So oh. I'm curious if you could speak to any distinction you see there or anything you would like to add to that concept. Oh, I'm so glad that you asked that. You know, I want to, I do want to just say that there, there's the, there's a couple things here. There's the willingness to look at it. There's the capacity to like the capacity, not just to look at it, but to, to, to be able to see (laughs) what's underneath it. So, um, one of the things that I say a lot is that you can only move as fast. You can only change as fast as your perspective can shift. Mm. And I was willing, like in, in my younger years or in, you know, I've seen clients, you've, I'm sure you've seen clients, that you, they're willing to look at it. They're like, I'm here. And then they get there and they almost check out or their their reality or their view of themselves, um, it, it trips their ego to shut off, to disconnect and to dissociate. And so then you're like, well, shit. I moved too fast for that person or I didn't go, you know, like because there's a sense of if you if you shift someone's ego and their their identity, personality and ego, which I like to call it is the pie. If you if you shift it too fast, then it, that's exactly what will happen is it will just like totally disconnect. And the the trick is to move at a pace in which you can integrate in the moment. So for me, I bumped up against this this deep childhood trauma around um, my father and feeling safe with my mother. Like there's a lot of things there that I couldn't actually fall through that until I was able to, again, you said feel what was in that moment. And it's it's like a it's like a, a precious gem. The shadow or someone's interpersonal work is like a precious gem and it have, it's multifaceted, right? And so you're like, oh, look at this precious gem. Look at my shadow. And you're looking at it and you like, you wipe off and you get really clean this one side and then you shift it slightly. And here's another facet of it. And then you just kind of keep working that. And and I don't know if you can ever actually shine the whole thing because you get fingerprints on the whole other side. So, so in that sense of... How do you go from just looking at it to being with it and to to actually working with it? It takes time and patience and and feeling and 
a lot of acceptance that yes, you are that too. Whatever, whatever that thing that you don't want to look at, you're you're that as well. And that kind of wrapping your head and your your mind and your body and your identity around that is it's going to take time and, and compassion. So I want to I want to kind of weave trust in because that was sort of a central theme that you wanted to explore and. What's clear to me is that our mistrust is not like it didn't fall out of the sky. It's not random. Like we mistrust things because we have some evidence to suggest that trust is not safe. And so, you know, in the shadow is is this what I would describe as the source of our most kind of significant trespass on one another is when our shadow runs the show and we behave in ways that are old and conditioned and really out of kind of protection to our own wounds, but we take those out on our partner and, and then trust is broken. It's like we, we hurt each other. And, and so I'm wondering for you, is there a genesis point of where trust is, is broken or where the kind of separation from that trust of life, really, like when we come into the world, if we're received with love and care and warmth and responsiveness, we just come to inherently, like intrinsically trust life. It's like, oh yeah, things are going to be, I'm okay. Things are going to be okay. It's going to hurt sometimes, but that's a, like some people have that experience. Most of us in some way do not. And, and then we have to find our way back to trust. So let's start there and then we'll, we'll go. Awesome. Um, I just want to say that I've met like a person, one, one and a half people, two people. <laughs> that have that inherent trust of life. And they're fascinating. They happen to be two of my best friends in the whole world. I'm like, wow, can I just like lovingly study you? <laughs> um, they grew up in very loving homes. They were very wanted as children. And they grew up in, well, I'm going to use this really wild kind of, you know, spicy term, safe. Uh, <laughs> they grew up in safe homes which meant that there was protection. There was their parents listened to them and actively engaged with their wants and needs as not only children, as infants, but as, as children as well. I'm not going to get into um, attachment theory because that's not really my, my shtick, but I know that it's yours. So if you want to talk more about that, <laughs> um, I think that there's a lot of, okay, so, in the way that I understand trust and there's, there's ways to look at how we learn. I think we learn to mistrust or we learn to question reality um, in the ways that we learn how to strategize to get our needs met. So if you did grow up in a really amazing, loving home and you're like, yay, I'm, I'm happy and I feel safe, my body is regulated, um, which means that you're not in a state of fight, flight, flee, or fawn, um, which means that your, your nervous system is calm and relaxed and you can consciously make choices. Um, but if you're in the other state, which most of us has, have been in, you know, crazy, dangerous childhood here and well, pretty much up until my early 30s. Um, 
if you're in that state, then you've you've created strategies to get your needs met from a state of dysregulation and mistrusting life in general. Now, that's on a, a very personal level. We can we can start moving out to where we're cre- we're taught socially to mistrust or to behave in certain ways, which is a is kind of a self-abandonment if you think about it, right? So if I'm socialized as female in a in a world that doesn't really quite support females to be vibrant and alive, then I'm already kind of an underdog in a hierarchy of life, right? That means that I'm I'm consistently mistrusting these beautiful people with, you know, penises. Like I'm already inherently trust or mistrusting that because not only did my mom tell me that, but her mom told her that. And all the things that I've been, you know, on television or billboards or or even in my history classes or, you know, if I want to walk it out to not just American culture, but even to world culture, it looks like there's there's places where we start to inherently distrust our own desires, our wants, our own body. Like, why does my body want to move like this? And, you know, everything in the world is telling me, don't do that because that's, you could be considered, God, if I wanted to like slinkily move my body because it feels good in my, you know, my muscles and my bones to to undulate, oh, heaven forbid, <gasps> in our puritanical culture, I would be told that I was slutty or something like that, right? So then I'm mistrusting my own body, my own inherent desires. So these places where we find ourselves insecure and where we start distrusting our own thoughts, desires, wants, needs, the like basic human stuff, those are places where I think we're we're very much taught to do that. To not show up in our authenticity or in our in our truth or our sovereignty sovereignty. Because if we were if we were embodied and we were sovereign, we would have been taught to communicate like I want to, you know what, <laughs> Dolphin, I just want to dance right now. And I don't want to do this thing. Instead of being like, I, I'm going to do this thing because I think that I'm supposed to do this thing. And, and you know, um, I'm, I'm pleasing Dolphin. And, you know, he, he da, 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 you know, like there's all these like, I think that that's one of the core seeds to internal distrust is some aspects of social programming, as well as, you know, our cultural and familial programming as well. Yeah. And, and in all of that, what you're speaking about is that there, are, I think we're, we're intuitively tracking our choices and then the feedback of those choices in relation to the people around us, the culture around us. And so if I make choices and I consistently get feedback that tells me, or at least that registers in me is like, ow, that hurts. When I do X, I get hurt by the people around me or I get ignored or I get, they distance themselves. I think we're intuitively meant just we're social creatures, like social cohesion and connection is, is survival in a, in a, you know, historical context in an evolutionary context. And so, so I think we're, we're having to contend with these very strong pulls to, to, um, assimilate, to, to kind of be like others and, and I think there's value there. Like, I think there's a reason we're meant to go, oh, like you're like that. Okay. I want to be like that too. 
There's something that can be authentic, innocent, good in that. And then there's a way that it goes down this track of total dysfunction and dissociation from our own authenticity. So, so like totally in agreement about that. I think one thing I'd love to get into a little bit more detail about is I think there's a, there's a challenging kind of nuanced understanding that is required when we feel like we're starting to register, oh, like I feel obligated in this and that doesn't feel true to me. Okay, the double-edged sword of that, that I'll just sort of throw into the ring and then you can contend with it or throw it back at me or whatever you wanna do, is if my response to feeling obligated is that I, I won't do anything that has a sensation of obligation in it, is that I go kind of too far the other way. Now, anything that involves me being kind of responsible to another, or needing to conform in the interest of what's best for for the relationship or the group. Now I'm averse to that and I've made it wrong and now I won't do it because it feels like obligation. So it's like there's a middle way between those two that's authentic, but also honoring of what what the kind of collaborative operation of relationship includes. So would love to hear your thoughts on how do we find that middle way? And, And to me, that's the way back to trust. So that's a good segue to where we want to go with the conversation. You know, what this aversion to, so, okay. (laughs) I love that you brought that up because that is the definition of sovereignty that I've been hearing from a lot of places and people. Do you know what I mean? It's like this, I, um, my sovereignty is about me and I can't think about you or I can't attune to you or attune to, to anyone. And I, I don't teach that kind of sovereignty. What I like to teach about or what I like to to really bring in is is a way of teaching someone how to get back in their body to learn what their yes and no's are, to actually feel it, to rebuild their intuition with themselves with their bodies, with their minds, to get into alignment with their integrity. And what I mean by that is to help them access where their where their thoughts are and where they're what they're saying and what their actions are and to bring that back into alignment and an integrity. To actually like because there's this cognitive dissonance where I'm supposed to behave like a female and I also, you know, I, I, if I, if I do this thing, then I will find a partner. Then I'll do, I'll get all these things, these like these social norms that I do want to participate in. But if I don't do that and I'm authentic and I cross dress or I dress like a man or I behave in these ways that aren't feminine, the, the idea is that I won't have those things. And so it is finding the balance between participating <laughs> in a way that feels comfortable and and also finding my authenticity without causing I'm going to use the term harm without causing harm um and there's a difference between me actually getting into my body accessing what's alive for me and communicating <laughs> what is alive for me versus shutting you out. So how the the question for me was and and is a lot is how can I be authentic and be with you at the same time? How can I create connection? Mm-hmm. So 
So um, one of my classes that I'm I'm cultivating right now and I love and I've taught it in a, a couple ways is called Cultivating New World. And there's a, it's a three-part series, right? So first is building intuition and your connection, rebuilding self-trust in very embodied ways. And then the second is negotiating reality, which is a, a place where I can communicate and negotiate where we're together, right? Because this is so, you know, that that more looks like conflict resolution tools, places where, you know, I'm not shutting you out of my reality because you want to play into a social norm that I don't want to play into or something like that. There's like ways to to actually communicate with your partner or your friends as you shift and change. And then that third class is kind of, I mean, it's called Cultivating the New World is the third class, but it's also this piece of what I love, this concept of a triple win, which is how can I, how can I actually move from a place of being in tuned with myself, with other people, and do what's best for what I think is best, you know, what you think is best, mm-hmm. from that place in the world, in love and mm-hmm. in connection, and and. It's 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 a tricky practice. It, it comes with some practices, right? That you get to get to cultivate through your life. Um, but just coming back to the question of of moving from people pleasing, essentially, to sovereignty without selfishness, but connected sovereignty is it takes some time. It takes some thoughtfulness. And it takes radical honesty. Mm. Like I can, I, you know, and, and one of the things I think you've, you've watched Scott's classes and things like that. And, and it takes some, some fucking courage. Can I say that word? It takes some courage <laughs> to show up in full radical honesty. And I think you know that. Which do look like this? Um, I saw, okay, so I, I told you about this abusive experience that I had. And this is so radical and honest and, and very personal. So you get you get all of it, y'all. Um, I haven't seen my, this, this person, my abusive relationship, I haven't seen this person in some time. And I saw them at a funeral this weekend. And my body was totally dysregulated. I'm just going to share this this piece. So my body was totally dysregulated. I already knew it. I was already like, and I was like, okay, I'm going to calm down. I'm going to get from my brain into my body and really access and acknowledge what's alive for me. So my current partner is like, okay, you look like you're stressing. <laughs> you look like you're anxious. And I was like, oh, good, I am. And and what I did is I, I actually shared very vulnerably. I was like, okay, this is what's happening in my body. My body, my heart is racing. I'm having a hard time breathing. I can feel tension in my neck and shoulders. I'm, I'm trembling on the inside of my skin. And I'm scared and I'm nervous. Had I not said that, he might not have known. I mean, he knew that I was anxious, but he might not have known the degree at which I was. And I was like, I, and I need, again, coming from a place of wants and needs, is like I, I want to feel safe and I want to make 
choices in this, this experience that we're going into that is not going to cause more drama or harm. So he's like, okay, well, how do I, how do I help you do that? Again, negotiating reality, right? That takes two people to want to actually negotiate reality together. And he shared his, what was alive in his body and his feelings, his emotions. And we came up with a strategy of just being calm. And if something comes up to, to say, hey, this might not be the most appropriate time. Now, what happened was this. Okay, so when my part, my ex-partner came up and was like, so how are you doing? <laughs> Instead of doing the thing that most people do, I don't know if you do this, but I've always done, oh, I'm fine. Nobody else do that. Well, I didn't do that this time. And I said, I'm nervous. And the person was surprised, like very surprised that I was honest about where I was at. Cause I'm not interested in, in like fluffing whatever social norm or whatever. I'm not interested in that because it's not real. And now he knows that I'm nervous, which means he can choose to respond or react in, a, in whatever way he chooses. But now it's honest. And, and this is what I mean by showing up radically honest. Um, but I'm going to stop there, right? Because that was, that was a courageous move in the moment. Awesome. So I, I want to just, again, I'm looking to kind of just gather and connect dots and weave, weave something together for, for everyone listening and, and for us. Um, so I think what we've touched into is that in life, there are these disconnects, these dissociations, these ruptures in continuity, in safety, in trust. And I think they're unavoidable. There's, there's no such thing as a life free of these experiences. But for those of us that that grow up with with predominantly what they might call a secure attachment, those experiences are fewer. And when they occur, there's a there's a, a relatively fast and full repair of of the dissociation or the disconnection or the harm. And what that tells us, the message that it tells us is that life and the people close to us are trustworthy and that things will go sideways and hurt and ultimately they'll come back together. And so that our, our predominant frame or blueprint that we experience life through is that, an underlying intrinsic like subconscious sense of like, things are okay, I can trust life, I can trust people. And there's maybe sort of like a tipping point at which because of the frequency of those disconnects or those moments of harm and the lack of completion and resolution and, and repair, we come to a different conclusion, which is life is not trustworthy. I can't trust people. And that as adults, the the whole idea from the attachment theory perspective of, of earning secure, like healing our attachment wounds, is to find ways to participate in the repair in real time when we're in a moment of dysregulation and where that old pattern, that old sense of worry or anxiety or abandonment or fear or hurt is operating, but somehow we're able to hold it differently. Like they, they often talk in attachment about children having a, a, a loving, present, consistent, responsive caregiver who can be present to their experience, who can be present and caring to their hurt. And I believe that this whole idea of reparenting is central. So, so 
if we have people in our lives that can play that role, that is unbelievable. And 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 uh, you 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 can't kind of compare that to anything when we have people that can show up for us in that way. And when they're not around, as we begin to mature as human beings, we recognize that we can do that for ourselves. And that's a little bit of what I heard you doing in that moment where there was dysregulation, there was a sense of anxiety, there was probably a sense of maybe not feeling totally safe. And yet in the moment you decided, I'm going to just hold this differently. I'm going to have this experience. I'm going to be transparent about my experience. And you didn't really go to the end of it, but my sense is that the, the, the whole of that experience seeing this person again was sort of like what we might call a net positive. Like you kind of re, you relearn something in your nervous system. Kind of. So, okay. So maybe you can speak to that. <laughs> no, I love this. And re, reparenting, repatterning. I try not to use so many hot words because it, it I find it generally, um, I try not to because some people are really put off by it, right? Um, and I try to, what I'm, I tend to do is to give people an opportunity to make their own choice mentally mm-hmm. to create language around it. It's hard sometimes though. <laughs> um, so I want to speak to something that you did, you did share. Um, the, the actual experience turned out, I'll, I'll finish the story. So the actual experience is Um, totally just, I'm just going to say I was totally dysregulated for a few days after this, um, because of the intensity of the previous experience, right? So years ago, it was very violent and very unsafe. And in, in the sense, so in the, in the memorial, I had already like I've been doing this self-trust work, personal self-trust work. Like how can I trust my own desires and wants? How can I trust, you know, myself not to behave in ways that I'm going to feel guilty about later, right? And that, so it's now becoming a habit. I've re-patterned the habit of reacting in a very specific way and I'm now reacting or responding in a very different way because of the way that I've repatterned it, the way that I've reparented it. And so I know, like I can lean back into my own knowing of my own self. So it's like, okay, I've self-sourced certain things. In the past, my responses have been to get something met or to feel safe. So whenever I've responded or reacted to aggressive behavior in with aggressive behaviors because I felt unsafe and I wanted to bite back, right? Very common. (laughs) Now in this, in this experience, I chose, we'll call it, there were some moments. So here's an example. So butts in, this person butts in, in the, the circle of where we were all eating. He moves in beside my, my new boyfriend and is like, like intensely. So where are you from? I noticed your name is this. How far back do we have to go? Like he starts kind of aggressively asking him questions about his ancestry because they share ancestry. And I think it's like a, I was like, oh my God. So instead of, I'm thinking like, oh my God, I hope this doesn't turn into some crazy like experience that I'm at that, you know, it's we're here honoring someone else. And I'm like, okay. 
at the moment, my eyes are open. I'm still present. I'm checking in. I call it the circle of awareness. I don't know if you do this, but um, how are you doing? What am I seeing? What am I witnessing on the outside? And then bringing it back in. Okay, my body feels a little dysregulated. I'm nervous. I'm breathing. Am I okay? I'm fine. I'm safe. And then bringing it back out. So bringing my awareness in and out. So that's one of the tools that I use. The, the second thing, so he starts to kind of aggressively get into it. And, and my person is not responding in, in any way. It's like, oh, you know, like, this is great, da, 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 you know, and, and answers the questions with it. He just doesn't give him anything. Um, and that kind of devolves into everyone dispersing. And then the next thing happens is that my, my ex-partner finds me alone, kind of putting some food away and decides that this is the time. He's very drunk. I'm not because I'm, I'm super sober now. And he decides that this is the time to sort of intensely tell me that we need to have this connection and this meet and this like, you know, conversation at some point. And I was thinking like, and so the things that rolled through my head at this point, again, I'm checking in with myself, doing the circle of awareness, like, okay, I'm okay, I'm safe. It's kind of escalating, but I have a choice here. I take a deep breath in and I'm, I'm breathing, right? I'm, I'm consciously choosing in this moment, even still present, but, but talking myself through it again, self-sourcing like, okay, here he is. His body language looks like this. I'm, I can relax my body. I don't need to in, you know, I don't need to create more fire here and I'm just listening. And because I'm actively bringing my nervous system down, I'm able to respond to him in, okay, I understand that you want to talk. Um, now's maybe not the time to invite this. <laughs> I understand that, that you want to be heard. Um, it doesn't feel like a safe time to even invest in this conversation. Maybe we can talk about this later. And at this point, he's not hearing it because he's what, like, what did he say? 19 shots deep or something. I'm like, this is, his friend butts in, right? Because he, they, everyone knows how how spicy and fiery this this thing is between us, this dynamic. So she butts in, she's pulling him away, and he's like pointing at me, like, "I know you heard me," and I'm like, "How do you know you? I heard you. Like, how would you know that? What is this? What is the, you know, measure of of hearing here? Like, how do you know?" <laughs> um, and it kind of, it actually, in that moment, I he left, and I was like wow, I handled that so much differently than before. My nervous system still is like, my heart's pounding. It got intense for me. And it escalated further on in the night where he he like wanted to to get a time frame. And, and, and I was like, now's not the time. You know, like the way that when you can, when you learn to trust yourself, when you learn to trust yourself sourcing needs, like when you're, when you're choosing to lean back into the, into your attunement and your integrity with the moment and with yourself, it becomes easier to, to not react. Does this make sense? Did I answer your question too? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think what I love in what you're sharing is that uh, there were some tools that you had already been working with. So there was capacity growing in you. There was awareness growing in you. There was confidence and a sense of being able to trust your, your self-sourcing. 
all kind of operating and in place before this moment. So yeah. I, I, I don't think that means there's nothing for us to do in these types of intense moments. But I do, I would suggest that an expectation that, oh, if I show up just right, I'll be able to do it perfectly. Like, forget about that. It's, it's just, I think of, like, I worked with athletes for years. And the whole training process is so that the athlete can be free of kind of self-judgment and, and, and self-critical kind of thinking while they perform and, of course, be proficient in that performance. And some athletes can train and then get there where they perform their best in competition when the pressure is on. And many athletes perform really well in training. And then when it all matters most, they kind of fall apart. And so there, it's not just the preparation, but the preparation is absolutely a big part of it. And so you introduce some, some simple but really powerful practices that maybe we could distill a little bit more for anyone listening in case they missed exactly what they were. And, and, and in a way that maybe would let them go away and maybe practice one or two of them moving forward. So I'm happy to reflect on some things that I heard, but would love your take on what you feel like the most helpful practices that you were engaging in were. I, I do want to just say you're right. I've been practicing when not um, dysregulated, but I've also, that's taken me a long time of stepping into some really stupid positions and practicing there and having to go back in and looking at just to get to that point. I mean, it's been three years, right? So it's like, oh, this time after practicing in heated moments, <laughs> like, I don't know, multiple times, did this kind of come out where I didn't feel like I reacted poorly and I was in integrity with myself, was in integrity. So that's what I mean. So I love that you you pointed that out. Thank you. Um, okay. So one of the tools that I talked about was the circle of awareness. The circle of awareness is something that I learned when I was a massage therapist. You know, when you're when you're taught to give, or when you're taught to people please, let's say, or be codependent, or, or please others to get your needs for whatever you know love or attention met, that we often are constantly thinking outward, putting our, our information or our, our attention outward instead of bringing it back in. Mm -hmm. So the circle of awareness means that I'm actively looking outward and, and looking at your needs and whatever it is that I, I think I need to do for you or whatever, how I'm behaving with you, and then bringing it back in, like consciously bringing back in. So the practice of the circle of awareness, okay. How's the dolphin? So in massage, it, goes, it looks like this. How's the dolphin's body? How how is he responding to my touch? Is is this touch too deep? Is he tensing up? And then to actively bring awareness back into my body to straighten my back, to straighten my arms, to get into alignment so that I'm not harming my own body, and to also recognizing if I'm breathing, where my thoughts are, and then to come back into the outworld world, outward, inward, outward. So that was, and that takes, you can do that in meditation. You can do that at the grocery store. You can literally do that everywhere. Um, and the second conversation ab about it was to actively share what's alive, right? And 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 there is a tool to go to, to be able to do that um, with such ease that I shared with. And I think that Scott, or maybe I have, on your um, on relation flicks is the self empathy tool 
And that does help you go from your thoughts to move into your feelings and to move and to speak from your wants, needs, and values. Um, and that is the tool that is now so deeply ingrained in how I communicate. Because I don't know if, correct me if you <laughs> if you think I'm wrong here, is that anytime I, I communicate from my brain and from my thoughts to another person about what I need to happen, it always falls apart. But when I come from my I would like connection and I'm feeling scared, it has this really magical way uh, people want to connect, is connecting. Um, should I send them to the to relation flicks for that or should I teach them that now? I think it's great for them to have more than one place to get it. Why don't we give them a little snapshot and then they want a deeper dive, they, they can find you on here. Okay, so the self-empathy tool, which is my favorite tool, and thank you, Scott Thomas, for teaching it to me. I do it a little different than he does, um, is the first step in learning how to self-source. Who knew? I didn't. Um, so I invite everyone to close their eyes and to lean back in their seats. And if you're driving, don't do that. <laughs> but to let your mind settle on maybe a conflict or an, an, an experience that you're having with another person, something that has a little bit of fire, but not the hottest fire. Do you have one? Yeah. And I want you to run the, the initial like title thought of it. It could who knows what it could be. It could be, God, he's such a whatever, or she's a, or he doesn't love me, or it could be so many things. These are common negative. But don't run it too long. Take a nice deep breath in and drop into your chest. And into your chest means that you get to acknowledge, even out loud, I really recommend that you say the feeling the emotion out loud. Like, what are you feeling here? So we'll go with the, he doesn't love me one. He doesn't love me. And I drop down into my feelings and my emotions. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel tight in my chest and my stomach gets crampy and, and I feel scared and I feel disappointed. So for you, it could be many different things and you can find, maybe we can drop in some PDFs of feelings wheel. For you and really acknowledge your feelings here be open to feeling what's alive in this moment and as you drop in on this next breath into your abdomen give yourself an opportunity to feel into the want or the need or the desire the value that's desiring to be met or seen or acknowledged here so if I'm disappointed or scared, I'm seeking safety and connection, seeking comfort and relaxation. And this is a good place to take notes on what you acknowledge here, if you have something. And then as you take a nice deep breath in, I give you an opportunity to ask yourself this question. Even if the other person can meet, is capable and willing to meet my need, how 
what are my strategies to get my to meet my own need here? And I know that some of these concepts, like the need for connection, might be um, kind of far out there for you now. But just give yourself an opportunity right now to think about a strategy that you can use to connect back to yourself. What do you need there? So when you open your eyes, I'm just going to share a little bit about how this gives you an opportunity to learn how to self-source. So once you can move from your head to your heart, to your feelings and emotions, and really acknowledge what's alive, and to move from the wants and needs and values, then you can learn to self-source in this way, right? If I need, if I have a strategy for connection for myself, then I can connect to myself first before I ask Dolphin to connect with me. And you know, that's one of the, the tools and we can walk through it if you want to connect with me and walk through some strategies. It's one of the tools that I use to get there. You're self-sourcing. Yeah, there's something really special about what you said there. I mean, lots, but but I'm going to pull one piece out. It's very central to the work that I do with people. And that is that when we're attuned, I, I speak about our heart's desire, which I think kind of is, is the same space as where those values and needs come from. But but at the core of us, there's an intelligence of what's needed in this moment to care for this this piece. And and when we get out of the way, there's there's an intuition about what wants to be spoken. Young children do this effortlessly. They just speak their heart's desire. And and then we get taught out of that. But there's something that occurs when when and this is not a thinking, it's not an intellectual process, but when we get that in the full expression of the heart's desire, in a meaningful way, we satisfy that desire. Yes. And that when we do that, we're actually at home inside in a way that allows another to join us in a way that they're not able to join us when we're externalizing the source of meeting that need. Like, oh, you need to, I'll be here with you if you X, Y, or Z. Which, which doesn't work in relationship. So like what I'm hearing in your process and then what's reflected in, in, in some of the central ways that I work with people is that this ability to realign, reattune, and to come home to our self-sourcing is the kind of genesis for a new kind of connection with others. And, and, and then we can begin to master the dance of, of kind of co, the co-meeting of collective needs. So that's relationship and community is about us working as a as a cohesive team to meet the needs of all that that raises everyone that that heals everyone. So you know I'm I'm taking us into a more broad frame, but I feel like the timing is such where we can bring it to a yeah a broader context and and maybe you can say some some closing pieces around this this journey from mistrust and disconnection to trust and connection. Um, maybe something from your own journey that you think would be of value or what, what you think would be good for people to take with them if they're maybe early in the journey or they just want some help with the next steps. Thank you. Um, one one question that I'd love to ask you, and I, I know we're wrapping up, but is, is the can one attune with another if they're not in attunement or alignment with themselves without self-abandoning, right? 
So that's, that's the question around if I'm not caring for, if I'm not in my, my being, how can I actively attune? And attunement specifically means that I'm present in here, in my body and in my mind and in alignment with my integrity and consciously choosing to be in your presence and reality at the same time. I, I can't do that. I can't attune effectively if I'm not here. So I'm going to bounce off that for just a second. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I, it's a beautiful point. I, I like to think of it or I like to share about it with people uh, because I think this is a relevant distinction. It's not, it's not either or. It's that there are just levels and levels and levels of us. And we're only able to relate and attune to the degree to which we're at home in those levels inside. So if I'm in my mental space and I'm basically cut off from the from the neck down, I can't attune or, re- or relate to another in their body or in their heart. It's just because I'm disconnected there. I'm disconnected here between us as well. Like this was shown to me really beautifully. I was uh, at an equestrian uh facility, a friend of mine running this, this, uh, equine therapy and horses are incredible. And one of the things that's amazing about horses, especially these particular horses that are kind of bred and, and trained for this equine therapy is that if you're not in your body and you don't feel safe in your body, they want nothing to do with you and they won't listen to you. You can be stern and loud. And, but if you're in your head, or if you're in some way dissociated from your heart and your body, the horse knows and they're, they're not interested. As soon as you drop into your body and you kind of go, oh yeah, like here's my body, here's the sensations there. This is a safe place for me. And then from there you reach to connect with the horse, all of a sudden they respond. So human beings are like that, but, but I think horses are so somatic like if you spend time with horse there's so much their relationship with their body is so full on and human beings have this ability to completely dissociate from our body so so i think there's but there's there's some intelligence there around we can only relate and resonate and attune to the degree that we're embodying and kind of present to those places inside of us in terms of uh, attuning to another exactly um thank you for saying that so eloquently. And in that, I'd, I'd like to share is for those who, wherever you are on your journey, be very compassionate with yourself. Be kind and gentle. There is so much harsh in the world, right? That the more we, we continue to beat ourselves for not doing it right is is actually not helping us to move forward in anything. It just kind of keeps you stuck in that world for a little bit. So finding the place where you can, even if you disassociate, come finding that place where you can come back, to come back to embodiment, to come back to presence, to take time every week or, or if you can every day to see where your insecurities are or to look at the places where you talk shit about yourself <laughs> and to actually look at that. Is that, were you taught that? Is that actually yours? Is that a social programming belief? Like, do you have to hold on to that? And to find the places and, and the tools that work for you, because some of these tools that I shared today might not work for you at all, but find the ways that 
it works for you to rebuild trust in yourself and in your body. Whether that's, you know, reaching out to friends or, you know, dolphin or taking classes and who knows what it could be. But I, I it's like that. Sometimes some of these tools are going to work for you. Sometimes you're going to have to practice for years and it's going to suck. <laughs> and it's going to be like, shit, I can't believe I did that thing again. Instead of that being like, oh, okay, I did that thing again. Can I walk it back? Can I walk it back to where I first noticed my body or my first noticed the the place where I got shaky? How can I shift it from that point? And to be kind and compassionate. Um, yeah, that was what I would like to say there. Yeah, beautiful. Well, uh, if people have enjoyed the conversation, which I'm I'm almost certain they have. Uh, where can they find you and more of what the work that you're doing in the world? Well, right now, I would love to just send you all to the self-love show, um, which you can find us on YouTube and Facebook. It is a place where you can access free self-love tools. And, you know, access is really, really important to me, like making it available to any and all that can. Um, so it is a free resource where you can just find our videos on God knows what you could find on. Like there's amazing things um, from NLP to um, uh, we had a couple death doulas on helping work through grief. Uh, there's places of redefining success. I mean, anything that you're working on, we probably have a show that might benefit you. So find us on the self-love show um, on Facebook and Self Love Show on YouTube. We can send those. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. I, I knew it would be. I always enjoy you hearing you speak, hearing you. Yeah, I, I get that your heart's all in your work and in, in the way you live your life. So thank you for choosing to do that and sharing it with us. Uh, for those that have tuned in, thank you for being here. Uh, thanks for coming by to the Relation Flicks podcast. Uh, we look forward to sharing more amazing conversations with you as we go. Thanks, everybody, and have a beautiful day. It's not hurt. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. You've been listening to the Better Relationship Podcast brought to you by RelationFlix. Please subscribe to the podcast, and you can go and check us out at RelationFlix.com. We look forward to sharing so much more with you. And until next time, my friends, love well.